right, so Mark 7 from verse 24 through 30. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered the house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For saying this, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone, gone out, and her daughter lying on the bed. Let's pray. Lord God, as we dive into your word together now, we ask that you would help us to see some incredibly beautiful yet challenging lessons for us. We pray that we would be humble before you and not think that we have this figured out before we uh, approach this together. So we ask that you would work in us and that you may be glorified as a result of this. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So as we uh, continue through Mark's gospel... We get to a point where Jesus is geographically moving to a different place. Uh, For the last few weeks, Jesus has been in and around the the Israelite side of the Sea of Galilee. And as we saw last week, things have been getting a little bit tense. Uh, The the Pharisees and the scribes, that is, uh, one of the the Pharisees, one of the religious groups, the scribes were the law keepers of the Israelites who come to Jesus tried to ping him for his disciples, not washing their hands properly. And Jesus' response was rightfully to call these guys hypocrites because they were twisting God's word. And we saw that it was obedience to God rather than traditions of men that are more important. But that obviously went down like a lead balloon. It wasn't a popular thing for Jesus to say. The tensions have been growing. Not out of cowardness, but probably... Now, it seems most likely as we read the other Gospels as well, knowing that Jesus' time to go to the cross has not yet come, Jesus removes himself from that spot to go to a different area. He still has more work to do, and to, to go to this different place, attentions can simmer down a little bit so that he can continue doing what he had been sent by his heavenly Father to do. Now, up until this point, Jesus has spent most of his time with his own people, that is, that is, Jews. As we have seen in at least one occasion before this, the one where Jesus cast out the legion of demons from the man who was on in Gentile places, uh, Gerasenes, Jesus has spent time with not just Jews. He's not opposed to spending time with Gentiles. And that's exactly what we see happening in the seven verses we look at today. Uh, verse 24 tells us that Jesus arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, some Bibles there might say Jesus went up or to to this place. I know this isn't really about the passage today, but just the phrase when we read here, Jesus went up somewhere, or people went up somewhere, we might uh, read in other Gospels, Jesus going from this region to then going up to Jerusalem. If he's gone up, he's gone north to this place, how could he then go up to Jerusalem if Jerusalem is geographically south of here? Jerusalem was on a hill. So colloquially said that we're going up to Jerusalem. 
So if you're reading other things around this and you're going, well, why is this phrase used in different ways? It's just a colloquial phrase just to, to say they're going north or going geographically up the mountain, altitudinally up to Jerusalem. Now, that's not really, not at all about the passage today. I thought I'd share that just to see if it might help. So getting into the text, as we look at these verses, it's a much shorter reading than what we had last week, but it's a lot of controversial stuff going on here. This interaction is between Jesus and this Greek, or specifically this Syrophoenician woman. Now, the Syrophoenician part means that she was just of, belonged to the Greek countries, she was of Greek descent, and she lived in the, 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 the Syrian stretch of land that the Phoenicians, or the Phoenician stretch of land in Syria. Really exciting stuff there, isn't it? Really, really exciting. Well, maybe it's not exciting, but that's the sort of detail that, as we think about it, actually adds to the compelling nature of these gospel accounts. There's a lot of research gone into this to figure out where this lady's come from. And the gospel writers, they've got something here which is intriguing. They go into specifics. Now, the mention of nationality might not mean a whole heap to us today. But as we approach this, this was written from a Jewish mindset. Everyone was either at the time a Jew, a Greek, or a Goy. That is, they were a Jew, they belonged to God's people Israel, they were a Greek, they were specifically of Greek descent, or they were a Goy, which is just an outsider. It's probably a little bit more polite than the, uh, the Mexican word of gringo, which we see today. Uh, it's just how, how they thought. In the Old Testament, you were either Jew or a Goy. The Greeks hadn't really come onto the scene yet. This woman, this woman who Jesus talks to, she is not a Jew. She is a Greek person. Now, so it's controversial. Why is this controversial? By the way, the, this being included in the account of Jesus. Uh, what's Mark doing? He is building for us a case of Jesus being the Son of God of Jesus being the promised suffering servant from the Old Testament. Including something controversial isn't something you would do unless Jesus is bigger than the worldly perception of things. They're not hiding this. This could be something which, if Jesus was running for public office, they would be brought out to try and taint his legacy, but that's not the case here. Gospel writers know that's not going to be the case with Jesus. Well, the controversy that we see here is that Jewish men didn't talk to women who weren't their wives alone. And you certainly didn't talk to a woman alone if she wasn't a Jew. You just did not do that. This lady who we see come to Jesus was not one of God's covenant people. But this woman comes to Jesus on her own and she is talking to Jesus. Now we might look at this and go, well, she's just worried about her daughter. Her daughter is possessed by a demon. She wants her daughter to be fixed. We go, what's wrong with that? Jesus is known as a healer. What's wrong with a mother going to a doctor to sort out a concern for their daughter. Yeah, nothing from our mindset, but we have to understand the culture at the time said that this was taboo. This interaction was not one that was acceptable in the eyes of many people. So how have we come to the point in Mark's gospel that this social convention has been broken in a way which has, humanly speaking, every potential to be irreparably compromising for Christ. We'll rehash a few things we've seen already. 
What's happened is that Jesus has just had that run-in with the Pharisees and the scribes last week. Things are getting very, very tense, very heated. And as we've noted, Jesus knew his time to go to the cross hadn't yet come. So he heads away from where people were most likely to know him. And he headed north of non-Jewish lands into Tyre and Sidon, which was a region just north of Israel. But even here, Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowds. Even here, Jesus couldn't be hid. And we read here, he's just too famous. People knew who Jesus was. They knew him. He had a good reputation, a reputation that made him desirable. And this is where this woman comes into the picture. She has a daughter who is possessed by an unclean spirit. And again, we have another case of demon possession come up in the Gospels. So who can help? This lady has probably gone to all sorts of places for help, as you would expect a mother who cares for their daughter to do. Who can help? No one's been able to help. But she's heard about Jesus, this one who could not be hidden. He can help. This famous man we've all heard about, even up here in Tyre and Sidon, seems to be thinking, I'm going to go to this person. He can help my daughter. I hope he can help my daughter. Now, on the, the topic of demon possessions, we see a lot of them in the gospel accounts. Now, I think these things still happen in the world today. But I think the reason we see such a concentrated amount of them happening at this time in history is because God allowed it to be so, so that Jesus' power and divinity could be seen more clearly. His authority could be seen more clearly. Now, that's an academic type of comment. Let's go back to the text. Even though this lady who is outside of God's covenant community might say, well, no, Jesus shouldn't talk to her. When we look at what's going on here, this is a lady who cannot help her daughter. This is a lady whose daughter has been possessed by a demon. This is a, this is a lady who is doing everything she possibly can to look after her unwell child. If we remove the academic side of it, that is what we are left with. This is a, a mother who, who is seeing her child, her daughter, unwell and is helpless to do anything. She cannot change the situation. Zara was 15 weeks old yesterday. In those 15 weeks, we've already had those moments with Zara. And I'm sure that's just going to keep happening. The parents here know that, don't you? Those moments where your kid's unwell, your kid's hurting, your kid's upset, your kid's distressed, you just can't do anything. That is what this lady is in right now. Let's not try and emotionally distance ourselves from the situation, the reality of what she's going through. Let's see the heart of what's happening here. This lady is not given to us in Mark's Gospel as a a device to purely analyse. We should be sympathising with this poor woman and her daughter. And we should be amazed by what we see because even this Greek Syrophoenician lady, she teaches us what to do in those moments of helplessness, what to do in those moments of hopelessness, of no one else could do anything. What she does might sound very... Very simple, but it's also very, very profound. 
she goes to Christ. She went to Christ. That should make us stop and ask questions of ourselves. Do we do this? Can we honestly say that in moments of helplessness and powerlessness, perhaps hopelessness, do we really go to Christ in those moments where we are just left on the sidelines watching people we love and care about going through the ringer? Do we do that? Or we do it after a little while after plans A through Z don't, didn't work out first? And it's an unspoken lesson because it's something we learn just from what she did. But it is a big lesson here for us in what we read today. It should be challenging for us of do we really do this? Praise God for the times when we do it, but I think we all realise that there's something here for all of us to, to learn and grow in. But this lady has heard about Jesus. She's come to Jesus. And as this interaction unfolds, we see something that we haven't, we haven't seen before in Mark's gospel when people have come to Jesus. In verse 26, we read this. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. We've spoken about that. And look at the next bit. And she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. She kept asking. Now, what have we seen of Jesus healing people and casting out demons before? We've seen people from all the cities around the place where Jesus was at, all the towns, all the villages, all the cities, they bring anyone to Jesus who needs healing. And it seems to be the healing is just done. Whether that be casting out of demons, whether it be healing any injury or physical ailment, whatever it is, it's done straight away. We see, as we did with the, uh, the, the case of the man who was possessed by that legion of demons, the demons cried out acknowledging who Jesus was, and Jesus' response had just come out. But we haven't, we've seen people just touch the edge of Jesus' clothes as well. We've seen that and be healed. But what we haven't seen is people asking repeatedly. She kept asking. Think about someone else who came to Jesus for the sake of their daughter. Jairus, who was one of the rulers of the synagogue, he came to Jesus and asked that his daughter might be healed. And she was. There was no second ask there. He didn't have to keep asking. So why does this lady have to keep asking for the demon to be cast out? Now, if you're wondering why we've spoken about the nationalities, but I think the nationalities that have been included in here are very important. I think it prepares us for what we see in verse 27 when we see Jesus' words to this lady. Because if we don't grasp the cultural issues going on here, we end up with a conversation that just looks rude. And if we don't grasp that God's plan was to first work among his people, Israel, before extending salvation to to far, far nations, we read about that in many places in the prophets in the Old Testament, if we don't first grasp that God was first going to work in Israel, it just looks rude. There's cultural stuff going on here, but there's also God's salvation plan And the spread of the gospel after Jesus died and rose again was from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. We read that at the start of the book of Acts. 
This lady is not an Israelite and she is persistent, isn't she? She keeps asking. Jesus says, let the children be filled first. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now that might not be a very polite thing to say. In fact, after the rugby league yesterday, some, one of the coaches got upset that one of his players was assaulted. as a contact sport, but something else happened in the game. And he described the person who attacked his player as being a bit of a dog. It's not a nice thing to say. The calls are now happening. Sack the coach. You cross the line. You don't say that about someone. But Jesus is saying, well, you feed the children before you feed the little dogs. It's not, not necessarily a polite thing to say. It's a pretty loaded thing to say as well to a mum who just wants to make her kid well again. But it does relate to God first holding out salvation to his chosen people, Israel, before extending that salvation to people from other countries. This is not God being miserly. This is God being faithful to his promises. His promises to his people. If we think about that, for anyone who has faith in God today, that should actually be encouraging for us. That God regards us so highly that he always keeps his promises to his people. But again, this lady is persistent. Her response is quite remarkable in verse 28, isn't it? Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. This lady could have just responded with offence, couldn't she? Typical Jewish man, thinking that everyone else is worse than you, why don't you just dig a little bit deeper and do the right thing? You had to bring race into it, didn't you? You had to bring nationality into it. You had to bring ethnicity. Whatever line you want to go down, you had to go down that line. You had to make me feel good because I'm not one of you. But this lady's response isn't that. Yes, give the kids their food, give the children their bread, but even the little dogs will get the crumbs that fall to the floor. That is an incredibly humble thing for this lady to say. We see her love for her child coming through here, and it seems to be that her faith that Jesus can do something, even though she's not an Israelite, is evident here. And this statement from this lady, there's a lot of thoughts in lots of commentaries about the scope of what she's drawing from what Jesus has done into this. And for a lot of people, I think it really does sum up Christ's interactions with all sorts of people up until now. Think about where Jesus has been spending most of his time, where Jesus was doing most of his teaching, where he was healing, where he was casting out demons. And mostly, those things have been performed in Israel. There's a sense in which, yes, the children are getting the bread first. The children are getting the bread first. They're getting a massive feed. The healings, the exorcisms, the teachings, it's mostly been in Israel. Now, we don't know for sure, but there's some thoughts out there that maybe this lady was aware that even Gentiles, even Greeks, Goys, all these people, they've benefited from Jesus too. She may or may not be aware of what had happened with the casting out of the legion of demons that went into the pigs and what happened there. 
that guy who Jesus cast the demons out of, he became the first missionary of Jesus to the Gentiles. He went into the Decapolis, we're told in Mark's Gospel, which is just the combination of Greek words of city, ten, area of ten cities, and he told everyone he could there what Jesus had done. Maybe that news has spread. This lady might be aware of this, but maybe not. Maybe she's connecting dots and saying, even in those big crowds in Israel where people came and were healed and things were done, surely, surely there was a Gentile there too at some point in time. The people of Israel got the bread first, but there were crumbs for us too. Jesus, please, please just grant me a crumb. Again, she could have taken offence. She could have fallen into patriotism, which is not always a bad thing, but it would be in this case. But instead, this, this lady, this caring mother, shows incredible humility. She doesn't even ask for a full meal. She knows that the Israelites are the first ones God's going to work into, through until a later date. And she says, just a crumb. Just a crumb would be great, thank you. Now, another quick comment about this. This lady saying that the crumbs falling to the ground is a racial slur back at Jesus about Israelites being messy eaters or something like that. I think we are over-analyzing this. And those commentators who say this, I think, are just looking for something new and catchy and perhaps provocative to say unnecessarily. Because we look at verse 29, we look at what happens. Jesus commends her. I think if it was a slur that crumbs fall to the floor for even the dogs to eat, Jesus wouldn't commend her. But Jesus does commend her in verse 29. As it because of what she has said, the demon has left her daughter. Not the demon will leave. Not you go home, leave me alone, and then it'll all sort out at a later date. The demon has left. And we see her at the end there in verse 30. She goes, she goes home to her daughter. And she finds it exactly as Jesus said it was. We see here a mother who cares for her child. We see what a compassionate and gracious saviour we have. These verses are, are massive. We're only looking at seven today, but... These are verses full of richness. They're verses full of richness that challenge us. Verses that challenge us to take note of how we live. That challenge us to go first to Christ when we have troubles. We need to ask ourselves whether we pray earnestly and sincerely when we're troubled. Do we look to the Bible? Do we look to God when we lack hope and direction and comfort and security, a sense of stability or whatever else might be troubling us because we should? And notice again the persistence of this lady. She keeps asking. And she says, just a crumb. A crumb would be enough. 
Jesus, a crumb from you is enough to do amazing things. Think about what happened. Her daughter was made well. The demon was cast out. And that was just a crumb. We live now on the other side of the cross to when this happened. Your salvation truly has gone to the ends of the earth. Those of us who aren't of Jewish descent, we today who trust and love God have more than just a crumb, don't we? And that should remind us of how blessed we are. That every sin has been washed away. That every need in our life is met by God. We don't just have crumbs. We have a whole meal given to us. And it's something we should remember every day. The work that Jesus did to give us a whole meal. To give us forgiveness, to give us life, to give us that bread that will sustain us forever. That's something we're about to remember soon as a church with the Lord's Supper. So bear that in mind as we do come to the table soon. But God, our God, if you believe your God, and because I believe he is my God, he gave us the full meal ticket when he died for us. We have life, we have freedom, we have forgiveness, we have hope, comfort, certainty, security. We have freedom from sins. We are forgiven because of him. We have salvation and nothing can take that away. As we look at this, as we consider the events that took place then and the events that have happened since then, we should be people who always have reason to be thankful, who always have reason to be joyful. In everything we do, we should be giving thanks to God. We should be giving praise to the God who did this for us. And we should be finding ways to tell people about how amazing God is to all of his children. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for these awesome seven verses in Mark 7. Lord God, as we look at these things, we see areas where we ourselves fall short and are challenged and convicted. And we thank you for this. We thank you for this challenge because it encourages us to grow. It encourages us to look more to you and less to ourselves for the things that we need in life. And we thank you, Lord God, that you are the one who saves. That you are the one who feeds all of your children. And we thank you for the price you paid on the cross that we might have life and forgiveness and salvation forever. We ask this in his name.